Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's good to see all of you today. It's a, it's a great day. You know, this is one of those days why we live in California days, you know, when you call your relatives back east and laugh at them and things like that. But uh, what a beautiful, beautiful day. I hope you're enjoying it as much as, uh, as, much as I am. I just, I just love this time, this time of the year. Um, before I get into the message, I, I just first of all I want to say thanks to all of you who came out to um, to Burton Rockies last um, Monday night to make it a fun. It was just a fun time there. It was just a fun time. If you weren't there, you missed it. You missed it. I mean, I'm going to tell you, Gary Barunda. I mean, he gave away so much. I mean, you know, big scoops of ice cream. I mean. You know, and uh, he, so everybody uh, had a good time, especially Gary giving away, giving away ice cream. Anyway, we had it. Thank you so much. You know, and I just want you to know that, you know, because you ate ice cream, kids got to eat vegetables in Africa. Amen. You know, it's like punishment for them. Um, uh, shouldn't they get ice cream too? Uh, no, they, no. We need. To, we, I just seriously, I thank you so much for taking care of the kids that way, and uh, it was a fun time. Just a big, big party on the corner there, and uh, we had a fun, fun time. We'll do it again. We'll do it again, and um, next time, um, make sure you find when Gary's going to be there, so he'll give you more ice cream than usual. Let's pray, Father. Uh, we thank you so much for your word that is truth. And I pray this morning as we look into your word of truth that you will stir our hearts with more and more of you. And God, knowing that this is a, um, this is a, this is a, a very meaty lesson today, Lord. It's, this is not for the faint or the lighthearted. And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to be the teacher. I pray that he will lead us into all truth and that he will open our hearts and our minds and that we will have ears to hear. As we walk away this morning, Lord, that there will be that grasp of your, your plan, your incredible plan for our life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. You know... Um, this, I, I gotta, you know, honestly, this, this is a tough lesson today. This is one that, um, I, I gotta be honest with you, I, I love, I love this lesson. Um, I, I'm, just the, the, the topic of it, I'm, I, I love it dearly, and I'm fascinated by it. Um, and my, my prayer, very honestly, has been that, that we will all have ears to hear and to, to embrace this. And that, we will be able to, to peel back the enemy's fingers off of some of the places in our lives where the enemy has got a hold of us, where maybe our, we, we live in this present evil age where, where there is just this, this acceptance of, of less than and of, of substandard. We live in this present evil age where we're being out of control and certain addictions are just, they're just accepted and they're, they're embraced and sometimes they're, very honestly, they're, they're even wore as badges of honor when we have certain addictions. And, but, but, but God has called us to, to live a life 
that is, that's purposeful and that, that things fit together. And what we're going to be talking about today, very honestly, is, is a missing element in so many Christians' lives. Um, I have been serving the, the church of, of, of our Lord for numbers and numbers and numbers of years. And I, I know that this topic is one of those things that is, yes, it is difficult, but yes, it is a, um, a topic that we, that we need to, to embrace. And I, I will warn you ahead of time that this topic today is going to be very close to taking a drink out of a fire hydrant. Now, your mind, you, you, you should all have pictures in your mind right now of you standing there drenching wet, but at least you got a drink, <laughs> okay? At least there was, there was something that my, 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 my goal is that I will do justice to this, to this topic today and that I will be able to, to, to give you something that is um, a really great take home because this is the, the issue of, of what the, the Christian walk is about, of, of, of growth into growing into a mature adult. And as we are each one of us striving to, to grow into this mature adult, this spiritually mature adult. And sometimes we ask the question, well, what is a spiritually mature person? What do they look like? You know, it's like, well, well, you know, they sort of like when they hold their fingers up, you, you know, lightning comes out of their fingers, you know. Um, uh, maybe, you know, you know, you know, yeah, that, that, that mature, they, they, you know, they know how to heal the sick, how to raise the dead, how to drive out the demons. They can prophesy, you know, they do, you know. And, you know, they, they, they have these, these, these marks on there. They, you know, if they're a ma- really a mature pastor, they have these qualities about them. And very honestly, that is not the mark. That is not the mark of, of spiritual maturity. That may be a byproduct of spiritual maturity. But just because we have gifts and certain gifts flowing through us, doesn't mean anything other than we have just learned to tap into that side of God. But, but as God is taking us into a spiritually mature adult, as God is seeking to, to grow us into something that is, is, is strong and alive. Now, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 17. And it says... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here. And sometimes you can read that passage and think, well, when you become a Christian, then, man, all your problems are over with. And we all know that that's the truth, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we all know that is not the truth. I mean, our problems are not over with. As a matter of fact, you know, yes, the old is, has gone, and there is a new way that has come. There's a new thing. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he said, Hey, what do I have to do to have me eternal life? Now, keep in mind, Nicodemus was probably one of the smartest men around at that time. 
and he comes to Jesus and, and, and as in the religious world he was at the apex not, a, not of that so much of that, that understanding who Jesus was but he comes to Jesus and he says what do I have to do to have eternal life and Jesus is the one that coined the phrase you must be born again and Nicodemus is going what? now this is not a it's not so much of a um, of a comfortable thing to talk about, you know, in, in our world of, of we want to keep things, you know, above board. But, but Nicodemus says, what? You mean I have to go back into my mother's womb? I mean, that, that's how much sense this made to him. And, and, G, and Jesus says, oh, Nick, 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 Nick. I made that part up. He didn't really say it that way. Um, Nick, no, no, no. You got to be born from, from the Spirit you got to be born new on the inside. And you see, and that's the phrase, and that's the understanding, is that we are born and we start off as spiritual infants. And our life is going to be spent on growing, applying the truth of the Word of God, making decisions that are consistent with what God wants us to do. That that is what God has called us to do is to be born again and, and, and to grow, to, to move ahead in what God has in mind for us. Look at this passage in Luke, in chapter 2, in verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the Son of God. This is the second member of the Trinity. That, that, that Jesus, He was born... Uh, physically took on a human form so he could come to earth to pay the price for our sins but the Bible doesn't say well you know here he was and he just he just had it all there's, there's some, some parachurch writings that talks about, about Jesus as, as a child which are there, there's no, they're not in the scripture but he was doing some things like boy no child could do that that's not a child thing but Jesus grew up as a child um, he, he grew up he didn't have it all. He, he grew. He grew in wisdom. And each one of us, we are to be growing in wisdom and to be growing in our walk with God. So what is that mark of a mature Christian? What is that mark that separates us from immaturity, from, from the selfish Christian? What is that thing? And if you have been with us through this series that we've been going through you'll know that every every week it has added if you've been a part of reading the book and part of one of the small groups then, then you understand that that there's something that's being built to, to be to be mature to be healthy to be walking with God in a way that is consistent with the call consistent with the breath of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in your, in your bulletin, there's, there's, there's some fill-ins. And the first part of the fill-in, that the goal of the Christian life is to... have a lot of spiritual gifts that, that just frowns everybody. No. The goal of the Christian gift is to be able to lead millions and millions of people to the Lord. No. The goal of the Christian life is to, to, have, uh, to be able to, to, to read somebody's mail, to understand what's going on. In, no. 
The goal of the Christian life is to love well. The goal of the Christian life is to love well. Jesus was aware that true spirituality, Jesus was aware that true spirituality included not only loving God, but also the skill of loving others maturely. Now this is the place where the fire hydrant comes on, folks. <laughs> the skill. Any, any skill is something that takes what? Practice. It takes practice. It takes time. Practicing once doesn't make me skillful. If it did, I would be the greatest piano player on the face of the earth. I practiced once. My mother made me. You know, Larry, you're going to sit there. You're not going to go away until, until, you, until, you, until you go through your piano lesson. Um, you know, I'm disappointed in myself now that I didn't pay attention to my mother. I would love to be able to sit down at the piano and play. We have, we have a, a great piano in our house. My, my daughter used to play it, and it's a great piano. It, it's, it's a beautiful baby grand. Oh, it's just, it's a lonely piano. <laughs> you know why? Because Larry doesn't have the skill to play it. We, we make our daughter come home once in a while and we tell her, you can't leave until you play the piano. Get in there and play the piano. And she plays skillfully. And it's just, uh, the house is alive. The house is alive with something that's a result of a skillful person that knows how to, to make that instrument do something. And you see, for each one of us, God's plan is that we have the skill to love maturely, that we have that practice of learning how to, how to love and to love in God's way. See, we live in this present evil age that we've been taught, we've practiced the, the wrong way. We've, we've, we've been manipulated. And our part, of, our part of our problem in this present evil age is that we, we don't know how to, to love. We've had bad models in front of us. And then, you know, I've seen this and, and you've seen this, where, where love was something that was mani- manipulative. Maybe your parents manipulated you. You're not, you're not a lovable person unless you behave properly. Maybe love was something that was placed on you as a, as a guilt form. Well, if you really loved me, then, then, then you would do this. Maybe it's love was something that was controlling and we've been practicing playing at love but it was the wrong practice. The lesson wasn't proper. The lesson just simply wasn't right. And learning how to love skillfully in a mature fashion, learning how to love well is the, the call, the, the breath of God on all of our lives couple of myths. Number one is that when I accepted Christ and He lives in me, growing into an emotionally mature adult is just natural. I wish. I wish it was that easy. But again, it takes that skill of looking at the Word of God and and seeing the, the perfect one 
Now, God so loved the world that, that he gave. The Bible says that while we were dirty and filthy in our sins, that, that God, you know, the word comes, in Greek comes across really powerful, really strong, that God commanded his love towards us. You ready for this? That God made himself love us. Because we weren't lovable. We weren't attractive. But God commanded his love towards us. And when we understood that love, then there was a capturing of our heart. And God says, I want you to continue to practice at that being captured of who I am. And I want you to continue to grow in that fashion. So, love, it's something that just because we're saved, because we've given our lives to God, because we stepped across that line of faith, that we, we are embracing it. God, I want to grow more and more into looking like you and acting like you. You know, maybe this morning, maybe you've never stepped across that line of faith and maybe you're just considering the claims of Christ and you, there's something fascinating about it. But I ask you to listen to this message this morning along, along that lines of not from all of the bad press that maybe you've seen about the Christian faith and people that, that never really grew in their spiritual maturity. They never really, they never really took the time to practice, to, 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 to love well. What I'd ask you to do is to really embrace the claims of Christ and to really embrace the model of Christ, to embrace the, the truth behind the Word of God and not some who forgot to mature. I promise you that if you'll do that this way that you will find that what God is speaking to us is alive and true and it's, it's worth it all. The second myth is that, well, Christians, Christians, we have this ability to, to love those around, around us in a, in a qualitative difference than those that are outside of the church. In other words, because we're Christians, our love is better and those that are outside of the faith they, they just don't know how, how to love you know what I gotta tell you something in my travels around the world I've met a few people that put the love of Christians to shame I have a, a friend an acquaintance who is not of the Christian faith as a matter of fact he is of a religious endeavor that in most places looks pretty violent and pretty mean. But he's a man that as a medical doctor could have very honestly been extremely wealthy but he has set aside that so that he can care for people. And I meet with him and he says, Larry, I'm, I'm praying for you. I go, oh, I don't know if I want you to. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Wow. But there's a love and a compassion that he has. But the unfortunate thing about it is not based on the, the, the process of who Christ is. You see, he's embraced something that quite often is a, a lot of Americans embrace. A lot of Americans buy the idea that, you know, you know what I need to do? I just need to do more good than evil. You know, more good than bad. And if I can do more good than I do of bad, then someday when I stand before the man upstairs, he's going to weigh it out. And, you know, hopefully, oh, wow, 
It was that extra bag of candy I brought for Fall Into Fun that did it. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. You know, hope, you know, well, if I do more good than evil, then, then God is going to be happy with me and He's going to say, come on in. No, 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 no. We're saved by one thing. Not even by how we love. We are saved by who we say Jesus Christ is. But to mature in who we say Jesus Christ is, to mature in that walk with, with God, then one of those things that has to happen is that we have to learn to love well, to learn to love the way that, that God loves us. And as Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, then we are to commit ourselves to saying, God, I want to, to grow in that way also. The Apostle Paul, in his missionary journeys, for some reason ended up in this this horrible town called Corinth. And while he was there, he, in essence, just folks, a revival broke out. I don't think Paul was expecting it, according to certain things and the way certain things. I don't think Paul was even expecting it. He showed up in Corinth. Um, God does an incredible work. This group of heathens were being saved. They were like some of the worst people on the face of the earth. It was this, the town was focused on nothing but pleasure. It was vo- focused on nothing but, but depravity and on, on, on selfishness. Uh, the Holy Spirit shows up. These people realize that, that they were tired of taking care of themselves and, and, and they wanted to, to serve God. And, and they did, but they didn't quite come all the way in. They were some of the most spiritually gifted people, but the most spiritually immature people. They had the gifts, all of the gifts going and flowing, but they didn't mature in the Lord. They, they had the gifts of the Spirit, but they didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. There wasn't the love and the joy and the peace, the faithfulness, the goodness the grace, the mercy, those things weren't there, part of their life, but they knew how to do the fireworks. And Paul is going to write to these people. And in 1 Corinthians in chapter 14, verse 20, he says to these people, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, your spiritual thinking, your spiritual growth, be, be adults, be adults. He complimented them at times on their spiritual gifts. That's good. You're doing good. Some things you just don't, you don't get a lot of things right. One of the things that you forgot to get right was love for one another. And so Paul is saying, here's the goal. The goal for you is to, is to start thinking like adults, like spiritual adults. In the same way that, that Jesus grew in wisdom, and grew in stature, that we too are to be in that place of growth and moving ahead in God. And what does that look like, and, and how do we do it? There's a parable that Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan and how to love unconditionally. A few weeks ago in Josh's sermons, he had talked about the Samaritan, and that the Samaritans were some of the most unattractive people. They were culturally inferior, according to, to the, the cool people of the time. They were not well received. 
they were less than. And Jesus chooses this example of saying, the ones that you think are so uncool, the ones that you think that are so offensive. There was a good Samaritan, and he's walking down the road, and he sees a guy that's beat up. The religious people walk by, and they go, oh, he's going to die anyway. I don't have time to waste on him. People walked past him and didn't have time, but the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, that he took the time and he cared for this person that, has, that was wounded and bruised and beat up, that had been thrashed. He took the time to, to care for him. He even took his own money, took him to an inn, a, in essence a type of a, of a hospital, to where he could have his, his wounds nursed. And I'm going to pay for him to, to get well. And Jesus is saying, this guy did a good thing. He was loving in an unconditioned fashion. There was no strings attached. He couldn't get anything from this guy. The guy had nothing. As a matter of fact, the Samaritan even risked being beat up by the very same bandits that had beaten this guy up. And Jesus says, this is love that, that's proper, that's right. One of the orphanages that we, that's our, one of our orphanages in, in Tanzania and Africa. It's a beautiful little place and it's called Samaritan's Village. It's a place where the unlovable kids can get loved. If there's anybody that I would ever have ever met in my life that would be that good Samaritan, it's the orphanage director, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat sacrifices. You know, and it's not because he's trying to impress God and trying to do good. He genuinely loves those kids. And he loves them so much that he does. He sacrifices. And Janice and I had to take him aside one time and say, Jehoshaphat, you've got to take some time for yourself here. You've got to slow it down a little bit. You know, yeah, you, we, we give you money every month to, to buy food and to, to buy clothes. We're bringing clothes. But Jehoshaphat, look at your shoes. Take some of that money and, and buy some shoes for you. Oh, I know the kids. Are, no, no, no. We're, we're not asking you. We are telling you. We're demanding. Take care of yourself. You're going to burn yourself out if you, if you don't start taking care uh, of yourself also. Buy some clothes for you also. Take care. Take care of Jehoshaphat. But he does that. And, and because of that, because of that, the world around, in, in his little world in, in, in Arusha, the police department knows that if there's ever a kid in trouble, take it to Jehoshaphat. That kid will be taken care of. I can show you pictures as a matter of fact, some of you support them. Out on our support this child banner that we had out that we had out in the front during our missions emphasis time. A little girl that the police brought her to Jehoshaphat and said she was found in a toilet outside. She's a couple hours old, or whoever had her just threw her in the toilet to get rid of her. 
Bring her in. We'll take care of her. Little Jonathan, who doesn't have a foot. He was born without a foot. Mom and dad didn't want to take the time to raise something like that, so he was thrown away also, left at a bus station. It was, bring him here. We'll take care of him. What, what causes a person I, 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 to do that, a young man to, to do that? Something has happened on the inside where he, he knows how to love well. He knows how to love in a, in a mature fashion that is not guilt-ridden. I spent a lot of time with Jehoshaphat. It has nothing to do with guilt. It has nothing to do with, with trying to get God's favor. He just said he sees a quality inside of those kids. And I'm going to tell you, those kids come out of that orphanage with worth and with value. They come out with confidence of knowing that, that I'm, I'm somebody special. Maybe my mom and dad threw me away. Maybe my dad sold me to be uh, the wife of, a, of, of, a, of an older person. But that, but that doesn't make any difference. Because I know the love of God and I've seen it in action. And you see, we talk about loving well and, and moving into those places. And so, so how do we get to that place? You know, the, the question is, okay, I understand that. And I know that I need to be doing that. So how, how do I get to that place? One of the passages that we talk a lot about in this church comes out of the book of James in, in chapter 5. In chapter 5, when I use it a lot in our prayer time up in the front, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. And the name of the Lord will offer up in prayer in faith, will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. And if they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And the key is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us. He was that righteous man. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. For three and a half years and again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. How do we get to that place to where we are considered a righteous person and our, our prayers are being answered? And it is that issue of that walk with God that Elijah was a man like us. He started off. And as he grew in his faith and his walk with God, as he even got to the places to where he was even willing to step out beyond his comfort zone, and God was there to meet him. Okay, I'm going to put my trust in God and I'm, I'm going to start following God that way. I'm going to begin to allow God to, to use me. So how do, we, how do we get to that place to where God is using us? And the best way I can say it is, is if we're paying attention to the study we've been going through. If you've been reading the book and if you've been a, a part of a small group that is talking about it, the whole goal of this is to take us to that place to where we are emotionally mature adults. I don't know about you, but my biggest fear is that I'm going to die before I grow up. Anybody in the same boat with me? Yeah. 
Some of you are, you, you got it all ready together. I know you're, you know. <laughs> but my, my biggest fear is that I will die before I grow up, is before I reach that place. I don't want to stand before God and, you know, and be embarrassed. I want to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. But I would encourage you to, if you haven't been following along with us on this study, of grabbing a hold of the book and taking some time and, and going through it and doing the daily office. And I think that last week, as Josh was talking about on the Sabbath, you know, in, you know, uh, you know being a Sabbath breaker, being in essence a workaholic, um, he probably inherited that from his father. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. Sorry, Josh. Um, but but what I'm saying is is that is that this is one of those places that, that I'm afraid that I'm one of the biggest breakers here also. I'm knowing that I, I want to grow up more, Lord, in you. I want to love well. I, I want to love unconditionally. You see, as we have lived in this world where we have these scars on us, where we have been modeled to, to, to love with certain conditions... You know, well, make me happy. Make mommy or daddy happy and, and do this. Okay. And we believe we try and put that same thing off on God. But see, as we begin to work on it and say, God, I know that you are a God of unconditional love. And so, God, I know that you love me and, and you want me to look more and more like you. And, God, I want to focus on that. And the issue is being honest with God and moving away from those things that we have, as human beings, very honestly, that we have learned to do from our forefather Adam. And that is to, to be that, that blame shifter. Well, it's not my fault, God. It's not my fault. It was the parents you gave me. If my parents would have been better, if they would have done this, it was the people around me that did it. You see, Adam and Eve, they, they bounced off of the wall of their failure with, with shame, you know, and very honestly, folks, they bounce off that wall of failure with sarcasm. And Adam saying to God, it's your fault. You gave me the woman. It's not my fault. If you hadn't have given me the woman, I wouldn't be in this condition. Of the fault finding and the fault, you know, the fault blaming. And it's running from responsibility and saying, God, I don't have to worry about the rest of the world. Lord, I just need to worry about me at this place in my life. And am I loving well? Am I so embraced and carried away by your love that I am willing to learn how you love me? That of letting the love of God be that driving force in our life. Taking off the lenses that we have seen from everybody around us. That, that, we, that their love was conditional. Taking it off and saying... God, I want to move ahead in you. You know, th th those hurts and those wounds that come when, when you've been rejected. There's not a one of you here that hasn't been rejected in some fashion. We live in a world that knows how to reject and to do it very honestly in a self-righteous way. And we are forced to defend ourselves and to, to build why our defense is right. But it's coming to that place and saying, God, I, I want to put my trust and my faith in you, and God, I want to grow in you. 
You see, because becoming aware of who we are and saying, God, I've got these scars and these nicks and these dings on me. God, I want to grow emotionally in you. I want, I want to grow more to know you. Our, our culture and our family backgrounds, they make a huge investment in, in so many things. But usually learning to love and learning to be an emotionally mature person is one of the things that we don't have that investment in. And coming to that place and saying, God, I may not have the right model in my immediate world around me, but in the thing that's most important, my God, who God is, it does heal me. It does heal me. It does do that completing work inside of me. My own earthly father, my natural father, was, was a person that had been rejected, had been, had been honestly thrown away. He, in essence, lived by himself from the time he was 12 years old because of a stepfather that said, I don't want you in the house anymore. Get out. He lived on the streets. Because of a situation of his mother's, I'm sorry, of his, of his father's uh, parents, extremely wealthy, And his father's first wife uh, went insane. At the time, it was against the law to to, mar- to divorce uh, a person that was that was insane. The father took up housekeeping with the housekeeper, had another family by way of the housekeeper, and uh, had half-brothers and sisters that signed documents saying, no, there are no other children by this, by this person. So my father was left as an orphan. When his, his dad died at a, when my father was three years old and the other brothers and half-brothers and sisters says, no, there's, there are no other, there's no, no other kids by this, by this person. And, you know, everything of value was taken from him. There was no real hope in his life. And you know, something happened. Something happened to this man. He got saved. He found Christ. He found hope. And he realized that all that rejection that he experienced his whole life was something that needed to go away and he had to conquer it. And as a young child, I remember the time that my, my mom and dad made a special trip back to the Midwest to simply go to brothers, half-brothers and sisters and say, you know, I've had bitterness in my heart towards you, what you've done to me. I'm very sorry. Would you forgive me? Didn't say, it's your fault. You guys lied about it. Just said, inside of me, I've had something unhealthy because of what Christ has done for me, I, I, I want to embrace you. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Because of Ancestry.com, I was able to go back and, and look at it myself and realize, yeah, they did say that. They did say that. But, you know, it was because of the miracle of Christ alive inside of a person whose life was so hurtful and so painful any escape was a good escape 
but he believed more in the healing presence of God than he did in his anger, in his wrath, in his bitterness, in his right, his human given right, to hate a brother and a sister's. And oh, by the way, they all got saved too. You know, there was the struggles inside of him. He was a man, but he embraced the healing presence of God. And so I'm not going to be a person of bitterness. I'm not going to be a person of hate. I want to love like God loves. I want to, to embrace the, the, the true story of God. You see, when we let Jesus walk with us, and what I want you to understand about this, this story of, of the Good Samaritan, there's another side to this story, and for many, of, for many of us, we need to realize that we're not the Samaritan, that we're the guy in the ditch who got beat up. And we need to let Jesus be our Good Samaritan because he's already paid the price. He's already done what needs to be done that we can, can experience his love. He checked you into the end. He paid, he paid the rent for you. He paid your medical bills. And he's saying to each one of us, I want you alive and I want you healthy. And Jesus is that good Samaritan. We're the one laying in the ditch. And that's that unconditional love that God has for us. Coming to that place where we say, God, I, I want to, to, to look like Jesus. I want, I want to love that way. It's going to take time. I, I can't tell you the numbers of times that I, I look back now as, a, as an adult. I look back and I see the times that my dad was struggling. He was struggling with some of the stuff that was going on inside of him. Some of the scars and the nicks and the dings from being a child that was rejected. It was thrown away by a by step, stepfather and by, by, by a mother that allowed it to happen. I saw some of those nicks and dings and those scars, but I also saw the side of, but God, that's not right. I can't blame it off on anybody. This is my struggle. God, do your work inside of me. You see, sometimes we can base our, our ability to love on our family's capacity to, to love and that emotional connection and God is saying, when you're born again, you're born into a new family. And, and, and your new daddy, your new spiritual father, he's going to model for you how to love. That while we were dirty and filthy in our sins, that God commanded his love towards us. And God, I believe that's a healing thing. It's going to touch my heart. It's going to give me that ability to love and to love deeply, and to love unconditionally. Don't expect it to be something that happens overnight. It's something you're going to need to focus on. You're going to need to work on. You're going to need to, to let the Holy Spirit walk with you and say to you, do you realize that you are wrong in that response? Oh, yeah, I do. Then let, let's conquer that. Let's deal with it that way. Let's don't blame shift. Let's don't put it off on somebody else. Let's move ahead. And so Paul's going to write to this group of people in Corinth. He's going to write to them. He's going to say, you know, when it comes to bitterness and, and evil, be, be, be children, be innocent, be, I don't get it. It's okay to do that. But when it comes to, to knowledge of God and, and understanding and, and maturity, be adults. 
And this group of people that understood the, the things of functioning in these powerful gifts of the Spirit, but yet they didn't have any love, Paul is going to write to them one of the most incredible pieces of literature that planet Earth has ever seen. A piece of literature that, that has a flow to it that is so magical that only a divine God could inspire it. And he's going to say to this, this group of people, he's going to be talking about that a first element of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not a gift of the Spirit, a fruit. A fruit that we have to produce. We have to pay attention to producing it. And Paul's going to say to this group of people, he says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I'm, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor. Like Jehoshaphat. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship and that I may boast but don't have love, I, I gain nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Love. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. It makes that trip back to the Midwest to say, I have bitterness towards you. Forgive me. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we, we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Where now we see a reflection as a, in a mirror, then we're going to see face to face when Christ comes back, when it's all over with on planet Earth, then, then we're going to see we're going to see that those sacrifices based on loving well, they were worth it. You see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'm going to know fully, even as I am fully known. I can't hide anything from God. Motive of why I do what I do God knows it all.
Paul is going to go on and to say a passage that is so gut-wrenching and true. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that's why when I started the message off, the idea behind it all is simply that the goal of the Christian walk is to, is, is to love well. The goal of the Christian walk is a true spirituality that develops the skill of loving maturely and of not using love to manipulate, but instead to say there are no conditions. Jesus came and grabbed every one of us out of the ditch unconditionally. You know, he, he, didn't ask, he didn't ask, do you want me to pull you out? He just did it. Now then, will we live out of the ditch or will we go back to the ditch? Uh, I'm more comfortable here. Will we love well? Will we allow the Holy Spirit to, to walk us through those, those things in our life where we are willing to, to forgive a mother or, or a father or a brother or a sister, to forgive a neighbor, to forgive a husband or a wife that, 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 that stabbed you in the back, that, 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 that treated you dirty, that didn't do it right, that broke their, broke their vow, promise of a mom or a dad. Will we forgive them and say, we're, we're going to press ahead and I'm going to love anyway? Regardless, I'm going to love. And so this morning, my encouragement to you as we are coming through to the end of this, of how do we get there? How do we become that mature person, that mature adult? It is the understanding that I've been born again. I got a new slate. The, the, you know, the, the, the Etch-a-Sketch was turned upside down and shaken. There's no more pictures on it. I've been rebooted that, that God is nothing. And now then, I get to start over. And I'm going to forget about those nicks and dings and those scars. I'm not going to use those nicks and dings and scars as, as a reason why I can act ungodly, but I'm going to walk with God. On a daily basis, I'm going to get better at loving and loving well. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up and ask the ushers to come up too. And this morning, as I said earlier, if you are concerned the claims of Christ, this has been drinking out of a fire hydrant. I know that. If you've been serving God for a long time and you feel like, wow, I, that's, a, that's a big load. See how much God trusts you? See how much God trusts us? God trusts us so much that He's willing to let us say, this is, this, is, this is big, this is big, but it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. Love well. Love well. This morning as we receive the offering, just as you're giving, giving to, to, to God, not out of guilt, but out of blessing of God. You've blessed me financially, and I get to return to you that tithe, that offering, as I'm giving to you, Lord. So, Father, this morning, 
as we as a church family want to embrace spiritual maturity, Lord, that we will embrace it and we will move ahead with you. Let your Holy Spirit breathe upon us and draw us into that fantastic thing with you. And lead us and guide us into your truth. God, we, we really do care, only care about one thing. And that's standing before you and you saying, well done. Well done. Good job. And God, we want our life on earth to be a good job. Not of works that we've done, but a good job of just simply loving well. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen.